What's going on, y'all? Welcome to the People You Need Podcast. I'm Richard White, and thanks for tuning in. For episode 15, we meet Deborah Mouton, the city of Houston's poet laureate and first black woman to hold a position. We talk about how she got her start as a poet, the circumstances she endured, and how she balances it all with the work and motherhood. So my first question, in your own words, who is Deborah Deep Mouton? I'm Deborah Deep Mouton. I am Houston's poet laureate. Um, I'm a poet, mom, writer, photographer, actress. I mean, you name it. If it's artistic, I've probably tried it, including fencing, which is kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm a teacher and um, a community organizer, and that's kind of who I am. And if you don't know what a poet laureate is, no worries. Deborah's gotcha. So I describe the poet laureate one of two ways. One, as the poetic ambassador for the city. Um, two, and my more favorite definition is I'm the mayor's poetic hype man. So I come out, do poems, you know, get the crowd all warmed up, and then he comes out and does all of the really official things that are important. <laughs> and if you're wondering, here's what DEEP stands for. Yeah, determined to excel in everything promised. So this world will try to get you to be successful in all the things it wants you to do. Um, but I feel like God had a purpose for me that was maybe beyond that or different from that. And if I stayed focused on those things, you know, I wouldn't be upset that I didn't have a 700 bedroom home with one person in it, right? Like, just kind of being really focused in a way for me to kind of hone in on what I feel like is important. For Deborah, the road to becoming Houston's Poet Laureate started early. So I've been writing since before I can remember. My mom has writings from when I was like five and six years old where I was writing crazy stories that made no sense. Actually poems from like when I was eight. They're all terrible. Um, <laughs> you know, now in retrospect, it's like I did not know what I was doing. Um, but it was a start. And so I think I was always a writer. I was always a storyteller. And then the professional part of it probably started somewhere in high school. I had a really great high school English teacher, Miss McCurry. I'm gonna say her name everywhere because I can't find her and I want her to know that she's amazing. Um, but she started to submit my work and just like kind of really pushed me without my permission um, in this really great way and towards, towards this as a career. And she introduced me to Poetry Slam. She introduced me to kind of the publishing world. She put me in Who's Who. I mean, like she was just really, really great. And so from there, it kind of turned into this kind of vent place for me to process the things that were happening with me at home and to process, you know, teenage life and all of its craziness. And um, when I got ready to pick a college, I started looking for a college that I felt like had a really great poetry scene just because I knew that despite all the other things I wanted to study, I still wanted to stay rooted in that and be able to hone that craft and, and find a place that did for me what poetry did for me in high school um, and feeling home and safe and sound. She chose the University of Michigan and competed across the nation on their poetry slam team. And at the same time, she was working in education on several programs involving the arts. And so there was kind of this mutual love for me between uh, kind of being in that more instructor and teacher role and having this quiet, solitary time where I could create and even instruct in the writing, but like have that time to express for myself. And so from there, just kind of launched off into being something that I really, really loved to do and, and wanted to see how I could refine it and to be an actual profession. After graduation, she moved back to California in December of 2005 with a few options. Then about a year later. And I remember audibly hearing God's voice in my room say November. Houston. And I was like, no, that's crazy. People don't like hear God. Like, that's a weird thing. Um, and I asked for confirmation. And I mean, like, Lane Bryant released a pant called the Houston, right? Like, Wheel of Fortune had Houston week. Like, it was the most dumb things that were just like very, very much confirmation for me. And so I packed up everything and I moved to Houston. Um, and I was here kind of completely detached from the literary scene for the first year, just kind of grinding, working really nine to five jobs. You know, like I worked at Macy's, like I worked at, you know, kind of retail pickup stuff until I could kind of make my way, was homeless for a little while. 
Uh, and eventually I kind of landed back on the literary scene and immediately plugged back in and it was like immediate success at the same time. I ended up being the second ranked female poet in the world within like three months. You know, I was on the national team for here and probably within a year and a half was taking over the team and running it. And so it's been kind of like a really quick escalation in that realm. Houston for me has always been really highs and really lows, but I feel like somewhere in there is a balance. And so um, throughout my career, it's kind of been that. Pursuing your dreams never comes easy. With the work and unexpected challenges, Deborah held on. It was a really, really trying time to be feeling like you were absolutely doing the, the thing that you were supposed to be doing and it still doesn't work. It's a really, really difficult place to be. Um, I tried to keep myself motivated. I think I listened to like Ty Tribbett every morning. Right? I was like, give up, give up. Um, but, you know, a lot of prayer and a lot of just being able to say, like, I know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know why I'm supposed to be here, but I'm a, like, I'm going to plant my feet here and I'm going to ride the waves until the water settles, you know. She says being in that kind of space is humbling and fuels her compassion, kindness, and understanding of the world around her and people that she works with. It took a year for her to get into the classroom, but it was still a struggle. I actually stressed myself into the hospital. Uh, four blood transfusions later, I completely just couldn't do it anymore. You know, like my body just said, the stress of this is too much. And so um, I actually left teaching, <clears throat> went into back into kind of that nonprofit program management, started working at an after-school program, you know, which I absolutely loved. The kids were amazing. And the kids were good, too, when I was teaching. It just was the, all the other stuff. And so I was kind of adjuncting um, at a community college and working at the after-school program until I started working full-time at a nonprofit for a few years as a program developer and running um, programs for incarcerated youth. And then I transitioned out of that back into my teaching career here. I think all along the time, though, I was submitting work. You know, I was trying to get published. I was still writing. I was performing everywhere. Um, at one point in time, a summer, I completely just took off and said, I'm just going to try to ride this summer out just, just on, like, traveling and leading workshops and touring. And I did that for a while. But it's really taxing on your body, sleeping on people's couches and floors and um, not knowing when your next meal is going to come. But being sure that you're probably going to get a next meal, right? Uh, just not knowing kind of how that works out is, is a different kind of stress that I think is not probably the best one when you also have an autoimmune disease <laughs> that you're, like, kind of managing as well. And so... Um, just kind of staying true to being really deep in the community, really building Houston VIP Slam, which is the national slam team that I run here in Houston. Um, VIP Arts Houston is a nonprofit organization that I run. And being able to put the efforts into really developing opportunities for especially performance poets to hone their crafts and to develop their their the actual craft of the writing, right? A lot of times the criticism is that performing poets just get up and scream on stage. But the reality is that there's a lot of work as far as the craft goes and the literary craft, you know, that's put into the writing on page before it ever gets on stage. And figuring out how do I support those writers has been something that I, over time I've kind of been able to develop out what that should look like. And so I think all of that probably is what led me to Poet Laureate, right, is is seeing that there was a position that not only elevated your artwork to another level of visibility, but also forced you to engage in the community in a different way and gave you the resources by which to engage in that community. Um, I, I was absolutely in love with that as an idea. And so I applied the first year. I was a finalist, but I didn't get it, um, which I'm, it happens, right? And then the next year, I uh, applied again and actually got the position. And so it's been a real blessing. Through the ups and downs, she credits her big family and upbringing. You know, being in a household that was definitely faith-based and definitely believed in God and believed that God had a plan for you, I think was a great upbringing for me. I think also being in a family that 
was in service was a humbling place to try to discover myself as an adolescent and feel like how do I fit into that of seeing that my parents are so everywhere for everyone but can't always be there for my siblings and myself um, and, and no shade to them you know they did the best that they could but at times it did feel like you know we were the ones doing the serving and not being served and so just trying to figure out what that balance was and how do I go into especially now being a mom being able to translate the faith and also be very present with a job that's extremely demanding um, a career that's all over the place right and make sure that they don't get lost in that what can also shape your upbringing Death. Yeah, um, my first sister passed, Alita. She passed when I was eight. She was, um, I don't even know how to say it because I don't like the, all the terminology around it. But she was, when she was born, her umbilical cord was wrapped around her throat. And so she was deprived of some oxygen. So she had some disabilities that had to be um, catered to. That's the best way I like to say it. And so she was in a home to help her cater to that. Um, my, my dad actually has three kids from his first marriage and then three from his second marriage. Um, and so uh, she was in the home and they just didn't take care of her, you know, and she ended up being found after a head injury um, later deceased. And so that was my first sister that I lost. And then my last sister I lost, I actually lost last year to cancer. And so um, she got cancer of the liver, I believe, in passed away last April. Even with so many accolades, Deborah still seeks to grow and get better. I would say I will let you know when I get to <laughs> master my delivery. You know, I think I'm still able to grow and still able to change and shift. And I don't know that I've mastered really anything. I doubt myself every single day, especially my craft, right? When things aren't getting published, <laughs> like when, when I'm getting no's consistently, which I do get no's, a lot of them. Um, you know, there's always a doubt, I think, in yourself that you're doing the right thing or that you're doing it the right way. I think where I gained my confidence in it a little bit more was probably just uh, Slam has been a, a great catalyst for that. It's great when you get immediate feedback from audiences. You know, It's great standing in front of an audience and having the entire room ignite and cheer and love the work in such an immediate way that doesn't happen with publishing, right? I can't be in your room with you when you read my work. Like That doesn't work out that way. And so I think Slam did a lot of it. I think also being in places that pushed me, challenged me, and that called me on my shit. Like, so I don't know if it cussed, but I did. Um, you know, I had I had a good friend of mine, Poetry, uh, which is his name, out of L.A., actually said to me at one point in time, you sound like everybody else in Detroit. Why do I care? And I remember going home and crying. Like, I cried my way from L.A. all the way to the inland, right? Just bawling my eyes out. He don't know me. He don't know nothing about me. How dare he say that? And then I sat down and thought about it, and I was like, well, why does he feel that? What is my work doing that's not original? You know, and, and having those times where you can take criticism for what it is, you know, like leave the parts that don't work and are not true. Absolutely. Everything's not right. But also be able to evaluate where is the truth in what someone's saying or in their perception of what it is. Is that something that I want to happen or is that something that I don't? And then what steps am I going to take to vary myself or vary my art or play or be more experimental that can help shape that voice? I think I did that for a few years, you know. I think I'm still doing that. She's collaborated with everyone from people in the community, prisons, churches, and the Houston Grand Opera. But she's extremely thankful for the time spent in the classroom helping her students. I felt like there were some things that I, I wasn't able to get those deep-seated relationships, right? Like, we saw each other once a week for eight weeks, and that was great, and you knew me, and I knew you. But those relationships that like shape you innately as a person, 
right? Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't there for those. And I started to just really miss that. Um, and I started to feel like I needed that connection back with another generation and also to be able to give back to young writers as well in a different way. And so I'm able to do that now, right? Um, my students call me mom. And I think that that's like one of the biggest compliments that I could get. You know, they know me and they come and they spend time in my classroom without, you know, the formation of it being class time. You know, they want me at all of their personal events. And I feel like all of that is a huge compliment to where they perceive me as who I am in their lives and, and what I can offer. Because if I, I feel like if I couldn't offer anything to them, I don't think that they would take to me, you know, and gravitate to me in that way. In 2009, she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. So I asked, as a teacher, poet laureate, and wife with two children, where do you find the energy? Um, the energy, I would say straight up God. Or I like pour it into me every morning, just trying to sleep when I can. You know, I have two kids under five. Sleep is like a myth. Uh, so sometimes I don't really know where I get the energy. I think adrenaline is also part of it. You know, getting on stage, there is an adrenaline about it. You know, getting in front of a classroom is another stage. You know, there's an adrenaline about being in that room and seeing them learn and connecting with people that I think drives and fuels you in this really unique way and charges your battery. Um, but the balancing, I think, has always been a trick. I think it still is a trick. You know, I'm actually headed to Germany in October for a week to perform at their Germany in Leipzig festival, literary festival, and um, I'm gonna have to leave my kids, unfortunately. You know, like, they're not gonna be able to go. And so just figuring out, like, how much time are you here? How much time are you not here? Where can they go with you and you all be somewhere magical? You know, my daughter knows me. It's funny when you ask my daughter what her mom does for a living. She says she's a poet and she makes earrings. You know, like she doesn't say a teacher because she's not in that space with me. But she is very much in the performance space with me enough to know and acknowledge that craft. And so I think that it's about including them in the art and including them in the career and not feeling like there has to be this division between I'm a poet now and I'm a mom now but to be able to have your kids on stage with you, you know, like to be able to have them in the front row and to have them be a participatory factor in all of the creation, I think is huge and helpful for me to balance. What about inspiration? Any and everything, you know, definitely my students. I have quite a few poems about them now, I think that are starting to roll out. The first year I was kind of intaking. Um, the world around us is absolutely chaotic right now. And so that's an easy one, right? I can draw from that, just turn on the news and get mad. <laughs> Um, and then I think just kind of looking at what I want the world to be, what voices I feel like are not being heard. You know, working with and developing artists kind of gives you a unique perspective of being renewed and being inspired and, and making you push yourself to do research. You know, like I, I research probably as much as I write because I want to be accurate and I want to be informed. And so I would say, you know, even something as simple as listening to The Daily Show or, you know, like reading the news like those things keep me grounded, keep me inspired, and keep me coming up with new ideas. The position of the city's poet laureate lasts for two years. Her time will end in April 2019, but she has her eyes on something else. I actually would love to be able to transition into a state poet laureateship. And so if that's possible, you know, I don't know that Texas has ever had a black woman as a poet laureate before, but I would love to be the first one. She's made history as the first black woman to hold the position. But in her words, the position is more than a title. I think the history part didn't really hit me until the day they announced that I was poet laureate. And then every black council member for the city came up and they shook my hand and they all said the exact same phrase. I don't know if they planned it, but every one of them said, make us proud. And I remember feeling so heavy when I left that place and feeling like, oh my God, I feel the whole weight of my entire culture on my shoulders. And I don't know that I can like maintain that standard. You know, like I don't know that I can always produce. I don't know that I can always be 
visible or connected, but I do know like I can I can have compassion, I could be kind, I could be a good person to work with, right? Um, and I could do my best at trying to balance all these things and all these opinions and all these people to please the best that I can and hope that that's enough. And so I think that in the last year I've I've done that, right? Um, and other people have been like, I don't know how she does all these things. But for me, it's just about making sure the relationships are there and making sure that people feel taken care of and people feel noticed and loved. You know, we just launched our first quarterly summit for writers of color for the city. And I built that space because I wanted people to feel like they had a place to be heard. And um, and so I feel like that that's what it means to be black history. I feel like the people who are black history probably don't ever recognize themselves as that. It's like, yeah, I just did some things and that was pretty cool. Um, I think it's more so a marker for the next generation and for generations to follow that this is now an accessible place. Um, this is a, another barrier that we could push through in that direction, that we could be even more than this. Whether you're Clark Kent in the day and Superman at night, or maybe Beyonce during the day and Sasha Fierce on the stage, magic happens when those lights come on. She tells us the process she goes through to make the transformation. I feel like I shy away from Superwoman. I have a whole TED talk about it. I'm just saying, like, I do, but no, like, uh, I think that it's, it's like the duality of being human. You know, we kind of think about like code switching as far as like I have to talk professionally or I have to talk, you know, more casually. But I think there's also like a professional and artistic code switching that's like I need to be on stage now and that needs to look different. People often tell me I'm 12 feet on stage. Like I'm this huge personality and I'm absolutely an introvert, right? Like I want to go home and I want to like read a book and be in front of a fireplace and like people to shut up. <laughs> and like, and I think, so I think it's a balance of giving Enough room for both places. I would say I probably am less like Superwoman and more like the Incredible Hulk. You know, of like feeling very human and very scientific to myself and then being pushed and motivated by some external emotional factor that launches me into this grandiose thing that I need to be in order to, you know, bash the world to pieces um, for good. Yeah, we'll put that on there, you know, but, but that kind of thing. So I, I feel like it's much, much less of trying to wrangle two worlds and more of just figuring out when is the appropriate place for both people to live. Ladies and gentlemen, Deborah Deep Mouton. If you'd like to reach out to Deborah or visit her website, I'll have all that information in the episode description. And quick note, my how time flies. This podcast has officially made a year. Through all the life events we've all endured, thank you for the time and patience with me. So if you've ever subscribed, downloaded an episode, told a friend, gave a review, or listened to an episode, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, and thank you. It's been a fun journey, and I look forward to sharing your stories for years to come. Special shout out to the Knight family in Detroit, my Aunt Lillian, Sister June, and the Wonder Twins. Our music is by Mark Henry Beats, and our image is by Evan White. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at TPYMPod, on Instagram at the People You Meet Pod, and the People You Meet Podcast on Facebook. If you like this episode or any others, be sure to leave a five-star review and tell a friend. We can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I'm your host, Richard White, and thank you for listening. Until next time, be safe and be great.